good day. It's another wonderful Friday. This is Speaking For Him. I'm Dan Van Zalen with your host, Andrew Gomison. Hello, Dan. It's great to be with you. And as you know, we are doing a focus on sanctity of human life. And so today I just want to talk to you a little bit about my thoughts on the pro-life movement and some of the statistics that we have um, that bear out a couple things. First of all, that we've done some good things in the pro-life movement and another that we still have um, a ways to go in some ways. And uh, Diane Leach, who was here a week ago, um, has graciously agreed to sit in on this show, so you may be hearing from her a little bit as well. But to Dan, can you take it away with our quote of the day? Of course. Abortion should be listed as a weapon of mass destruction against the voiceless. E.A. Buccinari. And I do not know um, much about this guy or really anything about this person. Uh, I just found this quote on a website of pro-life quotes, and I just thought it was really good. It reflects the way I feel about um, abortion. Um, and, and really, I'm just going to take a time to kind of elaborate a little bit more on what I, I talked about last week um, with uh, with Diane, and that is that I feel like we as the church can do a lot better to value life than we do. I think a lot of people in the church take very similar tacks to their family planning. Um, they still go for the 1.8 kids, <laughs> and they kind of plan them and schedule them out almost like an oil change as opposed to um, taking them as God's gift in God's timing. And I know that sounds brutal, but just think about why you have your family size. Um, when I was growing up, my parents, um, my dad, when they got married, he wanted four. I think my mom uh, at the time wanted at least six. Uh, they like to joke around and say they compromised and have 12. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but it really was a journey for them as far as how God brought them to that point. Because when we got to six and we had six boys, my dad was praying about whether they should have any more. And he went to a conference and there was this really convicting story at the conference. The speaker said that his two children once came to him and said, what is the reason why we don't have any more siblings? Is it because you couldn't have any more or because you guys chose not to have any more children? And he told his kids um, that he had that they had chosen not to have any more children and that his wife had actually had surgery, so she couldn't have any more children. And he said that really convicted him. And his children um, really wanted another sibling, and they even offered to pay money out of their piggy banks so their mom could have the <laughs> reversal surgery. And they ended up having one more child um, after she got the reversal. And they talked about what a blessing that was. And they were encouraging people not to take that issue into their own hands. And I know there's going to be a variety of, of thoughts on that topic. But just think about why. All I want you to do is just think about why is it that I chose to limit my family? Um, my, my mom always said once they decided to trust God with their family size, the best part was they didn't have to ask what if. What if we had waited? What if we had had one more child? Because the number of children is the number that God wanted them to have. So um, they really instilled that in me. And so it's a passion for me um, to see people embracing family the way God wants it to be. And um, I could not do 
most of what I do if it wasn't for uh, my siblings. My youngest sibling, who is a 17-year-old senior in high school, she's the one who drove me to the studio tonight. You know, without her, if they had just said, we're going to stop with number 10 or whatever, she wouldn't be around. And, you know, so I'm very grateful to have my sister Charity, and I'm very grateful that they didn't say, well, we, we, we raised enough kids we don't need to have anymore. <laughs> so I just want you to think about that um, as we go into this discussion. And um, I was looking at uh, the Internet, and according to AbortionCounter.com, um, as of this recording, there's been almost 61 million abortions in the U.S. in the last 46 years. Um, and that is just mind-blowing to me. There's um, way too many. Yeah, that's, yep. that's thousands of babies a day. Um, and, uh, you know, a little over a million a year. And that's, mm, that's people that could have really contributed to society. I mean, that's taxpayers, that's potential adventure, inventors. Um, sometimes I wonder if some of our long-term diseases aren't cured because we, we kill the ones that God intended to cure those, you know, and um, I I know that's supposition, but it does go through my mind. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned um, there is uh, approximately sixty-one million abortions. Uh, last month and into this month, I think um, one of the local country stations was playing uh, a segment from a speech by Peter Heck. And it was uh, a speech he gave in as a demonstration. He had them pour out little metal BBs into a container for a number of deaths. I think each BB is roughly 10,000 deaths from the American Civil War up to now. Actually, and every single war was completely and utterly obliterated when they poured in the B, the gallon, five gallon buckets of BBs for the abortions. That is so amazing. And uh, I will come back to you because what I would like you to do, if you could, is I would like you to find that video clip and then play that for us. If you can't play it through the computer, perhaps you can play it on your cell phone and put your cell phone up to the mic. Because I really think people should hear that. Um, and we'll get back to you toward the end of the show so you can have time to to look for that. But um, it, it really is a surreal clip and we'll try to include that on our blog as well. Um, there is some good news. Um, I was looking on the web and I found, um, I think it was, um, I think it was, I don't remember the website. I'll try to look it up and have these website links for you as well um, on the blog. But as of 2013, there were approximately uh, 2,500 crisis pregnancy centers in the U.S. as opposed to um, 1,800 abortion clinics. So, at least according to this, um, and what was surprising to me, uh, because Canada is usually uh, about a generation ahead of us as far as going away from biblical morals, but it, <laughs> but it was surprising to me um, that Canada has, it says several times um, as many uh, crisis pregnancy centers as abortion clinics. Um, and that's according to the New York Times. And again, I'll try to have that article up. Um, so, uh, Diane, as we're sitting here talking about this, have you ever done any work 
with crisis pregnancy centers? Can you, oh, yes. can you speak to that a little bit? Oh, yes. Um, I've uh, shared um, some of my testimony with uh, some crisis pregnancy centers. Um, we've also done uh, a pro-life fundraiser a few years back and uh, donated the money to the crisis pregnancy centers. We also, um, personally myself, um, we like to um, go out and buy clothes and just leave the clothes for the babies and diapers and just different things. And when they have baby showers at these crisis pregnancy centers where people will come and they'll donate clothes. And we have women that cannot have children and they want to have a child and they're waiting to uh, adopt a child and they'll come and they'll bring uh, clothes to the centers, you know, because they want these children to live. And uh, it's, um, it's powerful. I mean, uh, just uh, have that. So people that say that the crisis pregnancy centers do not help, that is a lie because they have helped immensely. Many, many women. We've had women come in with other children that they've had, and they even have clothes for the other children because they want to take care of the whole family and they want the women to heal. And then the other pregnancy center, there was one up in Flint, they basically teach them life skills, and they bring them to the Lord, they teach them scripture, and get them back on another track, a good track for their life. That is, that is awesome, and I think it's important for us to to really know what the, these things do, what these crisis pregnancy centers do, because it's easy on both sides to just spout rhetoric and not talk about facts. Well, so yeah, because you don't have that, to think when you're spouting rhetoric. So that's why we're, we're trying to go through the facts and trying to give you the sources for these facts. Now, this next uh, one that we're going to talk about is actually twofold. Um, and the first one is that according to Planned Parenthood, uh, on the high side, um, abortions can cost as much as $950, depending on how late term they are or how complicated they are or what your insurance is. Some insurances, sadly, offer free abortions. So from free to $950 is the range for abortion uh, in America. Okay. Contrast that with the fact that domestic adoption, and usually when we're talking about this, we're talking about babies. I know there's older people that need to be adopted too. So I would encourage you, if you're thinking about adoption, consider older children as well because they need adoptive families. But just consider this for a second. Uh, according to AdoptiveFamilies.com, it costs between fifteen and sixty thousand dollars. That's just for, for getting domestic them here in the United States. Yes, it's actually a lot of times, from what I understand, and I didn't do any research for this particular episode. From what I understand, it's actually cheaper to do for uh, foreign adoptions, even, somewhat, even though it takes longer. Uh, and again, I can't make an across-the-board statement, but just just to think about the fact that it that it cost, you know, 1800% less basically mm-hmm. to kill your baby than it does to give it life and put it up for adoption. That is just mind blowing to me. My second youngest cousin on my dad's side of the family, my uncle's youngest child is adopted from Kazakhstan. They went out and they adopted a baby and they had to fly out, I think twice so and that's well, not yeah, usually yeah, part that, of the that, cost. That does get expensive. That gets expensive. Yeah. But yet um my aunt, uncle had three daughters and they wanted a son but um 
think complications from the last pregnancy meant my aunt couldn't safely carry a child. So they adopted and they got him. When they finally got him, brought him home, his little four-year-old boy could hardly talk. You know, I mean, he's in one of those great big orphanages where all, all the kids are there and there's maybe two adults. And you got like 30 kids mm-hmm. and it's all super regimented. And uh, now he's a very quirky seventh grader. <laughs> so that, praise the Lord awesome. that he's yeah. learning. But And I work at the Potter's House and we have a couple different types of kids that come. Uh, we have a lot of refugees that come in and they get host families so they can go to an American high school and oh, yes. go to a Christian high school where they can learn about the love of God, which is great. But we also have an interesting phenomenon and that is we have several families where white parents have adopted black kids. And mm-hmm. one of the one of the parents who's a substitute teacher actually told me uh, that he um, actually sent his kid to the Potter's house because – he could be around another family that was like his family in that his parents were white and he was black and there was somebody else that could understand that. And so I thought that was just so awesome the way that worked out. And so it's nice to, to be around families that are like what you're going through. And then there's an, another family that's pretty big that has, several of their own kids and then several kids adopted. And it's just neat to see how they just, they're just siblings. You know, they don't think about being different. Right. Oh yeah. That's um, great. So it's really neat how that works out. Um, but again, the disparity, I, I was telling um, Diane before we went on the air for this episode that if just, if they could switch those price tags around, Oh yes. Imagine, <laughs> imagine how much, Abortion would plummet in the U.S. if it was sixty grand to abort your child, or nine hundred to put it up for you know to have somebody adopt it. Then it would be so much easier to say yes to life because I mean I can't imagine having to raise twenty thousand. The irony, the irony to me about paying twenty thousand dollars to adopt a baby is that you have to pay way more than that over the life of the child. Like you're basically paying $20,000 to pay thousands of dollars to raise the child. To me, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But people do it because they love them. Yep. And right. they do that because they, they want to give them life and give them a good home. And I understand why there has to be some regulation because sadly um, people could be adopted into bad situations as well. But – yep. We definitely need to revisit some of the red tape on that, I think, um, in order to make it a more feasible, friendly option. I think Rebecca can kind of help you with um, that. We were discussing my friend Rebecca Keisling, and uh, she has um, adopted some children. And uh, Well, I, I definitely look forward to hopefully having Rebecca on here before too long, and that will definitely be one of the things we, we talk about um, uh, going forward because it's, it's a passion of mine to see – uh, those prices, you know, kind of reduced because I, I want to see adoption being a f- feasible option for people. It's just, it, it boggles my mind that for less than a thousand dollars, you can end your baby's life. But if someone wants to adopt your baby, you pay can't, 15 times that amount. You can't just say, yeah. here, take my baby and go. You have to pay, you know, to do it. It makes sense to pay for like the medical stuff. Oh, absolutely. And the paperwork and stuff, but that shouldn't really cost $15,000. 
Not unless you no. have to do some really crazy medical scans. No, it shouldn't. <laughs> it shouldn't cost nearly that much. Um, because you know, because the, the the weird thing to me is that the people on the liberal side of things that are pro uh, pro abortion, well, they say they're pro choice, but first of all, they get mad at at women who decide to stay at home. Like feminists think it sets them back if a woman wants to be a homemaker. Oh, good grief. You know? Yes. But it, it, I mean, it's true that, that, that that's kind of their mindset. And I, at the same time, they purport to be pro-choice. Uh, but um, but the choice you want to make is not the choice the they thing, want you to make. But the thing yeah. that, yes. uh, like in the Clinton era, Diane was talking about the Clintons last week. And I think I remember one of the talking points of Bill Clinton's campaign, especially the first time he ran was that abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. That And it's kind of a common talking point of liberal people when they talk about it. And yet they don't talk like they want it to be rare. No. Because no. if they wanted it to be rare, they would, they would come up with legislation to regulate prices on adoptions. They would, they would cut out some of the red tape so that the really good people could adopt and they would make foster to adopt an easier process too. That's true. You know, I've heard so many stories about people that foster kids and then they want to adopt those same kids and they have struggles to do so because they're of not allowed to do it. All the different stuff that they need to do in order to foster to adopt. It's a very unique situation. And then finally, um, the final thing I want to talk about is that your opinion doesn't change the, the fact that a baby's alive or not. Something that was very surreal to me not too long ago was I saw um, a situation on Facebook where a, a girl was talking about her baby. She had named the baby while it was in utero. She said, I'm excited for this baby to be born. But then the next, you know, a few days later, she posted a meme that said that, um, that said that that being pro-choice was a good thing because it was about um, people keeping their keeping themselves away from my body, or that it was about my body, my choice. And it's oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. how can those two things coexist? How can you name your baby in utero and then turn around and say, "Well, somebody should have the right to end the life of their baby." So if I want the baby, it's a baby. If I don't want the baby, it's just a clump of cells that I can get rid of at will. To me, those things don't jive, and yet that's the world in which we often live. See, that's what the women think. They they get brainwashed saying that, well, it's just a medical clump of cells. Uh, and that's why the ultrasounds uh, that they have now in a lot of priceless pregnancy centers show that it is a living baby, a living heartbeat, a living human person. And many, many women have decided to keep their babies because of those ultrasounds. And uh, so, um, you know, they, they can't say that it's not a human person anymore. They know it's a human person. They just still choose to um, tell the women to, um, you know, abort. And unfortunately, um, Andrew, in front of some of these clinics where I have been there and protested, I've seen mothers drag their daughters into the abortion clinic. Oh, yeah. And I've seen fathers, not just boyfriends, but I've seen mothers. And that just breaks my heart because it's like, how could you do this to your own grandchild? You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just well, amazing to me. Even more than that, it's like you're hurting your daughter 
Both. You are like you're ripping your daughter's heart out. She's never going to trust you again. She'll hate you for the rest of your life. You are going to regret this 110 percent until the day you die, and then afterwards. And and, <laughs> and many of the women are wounded. They say, "Well, women don't have memories, and they don't. They they are wounded." I've met so many different people through the pro life movement, especially the women that are silent no more, that regret their abortions, and. Uh, they're wounded and they've, and they've been, they, they're hurt. And some women, uh, you know, before they got into the silent no more, they would get into drugs or they mm-hmm. would get into alcoholism or they would get into just different things because they were trying to kill that memory of what they done because it's a part of you. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the woman, you know, when she carries that child, it's part of her. Yep. And sure, you know, you will, you, you do remember. You do remember. Well, and Chris Everett, who was once known as one of the, the biggest abortion clinic, uh, runners, uh, she ran, I think, probably 20 or 30 abortion clinics at once. She was like a big wig for Planned Parenthood or whatever. And she turned her life over to Christ. And after she became pro-life, she said, I had an abortion when I was young and I had to justify it. Over and over again, I had to justify it. That's why I went into the abortion business, because if I could convince other people to get an abortion every time I did, I was able to tell myself it's okay. What I did was okay. But at the end of the day, she realized that that wasn't true. And another instance of that was um, Dr. Anthony Levitino. He and his wife struggled for years and years to conceive. They finally adopted a daughter. And all these days that they're trying to conceive and, and working hard to try to get that worked out, he's going in every day to work and aborting babies. <laughs> but it didn't click in his head until his daughter was hit by a car and she died. And he said, at that moment, I realized that I was sending girls and boys to deaths like my daughter's by my own hand. Because of my own selfishness. Yep. And so now he's a pro-life activist who speaks at at, um, at pro-life rallies all the time because he knows that what he did was wrong. But a significant thing about that, too, was there was a lady who came to his abortion clinic like once a week and, to- and went and saw him and told him, I'm praying for you, and often brought him cookies. She never yelled at him. She didn't lash out at him. She didn't call him evil. She didn't do anything, you know, hostile to him. She just loved him. And then when, when he was ready, he came to know the Lord as well. And then, uh, became a staunch activist for the pro-life movement. So God is on the move in, Mm -hmm. in 2019, as much as he has been in the past or more so. And so there's a lot of things to be rejoicing in. And, um, I think, uh, Diane for hanging around for another episode. And well, thank you for having me. I feel this is an honor and a blessing of the Lord. So thank you very much. Letting us know, um, some of her insights on some of these statistics. But, and like I said, I'll try to have, um, some of these websites that I've cited for sources on the blog. Um, and then you can go to them yourself and check out this information. Um, because it's so important. I think. If I'm remembering correct, uh, I once heard, I don't know if it was on the TV or for something I read, but I once heard that of 
women who aborted, for the great majority of them, the thing they most regretted was that abortion when asked later in life. That was their biggest regret. That was ah, their biggest regret. I believe it. Now, earlier we mentioned a video. Dan mentioned a video. Uh, Dan, do you have that pulled up? I do indeed. All right. So Dan's going to play a clip. Um, you can explain it again and then just play it for us. Okay. This is – you can find this on YouTube. It's a spe- or it's Peter Heck, The Sound of Abortion, and they've been running this uh, on a couple of radio stations off and on for the last year or so, if I remember correctly. And so here we go. This zooming get this right. Hang on a moment. Right where you are. I just want you to, right there in your seats, just shut your eyes. What you're about to hear are the sounds of metal BB striking the side of a tin can. For every BB that strikes, it represents 10,000 lives lost in the wars of America's past. 10,000 lives for this every is BB. as high as I can get it. Oh. This is the reality of what is occurring in your country. The American Revolution. The Civil War. World War One. World War Two. The Korean Conflict. The Conflict in Vietnam. September 11th and the War on Terror. Since to say that uh, we are dealing with a real loss. You know, we study the Holocaust in school. I know some schools don't want us to anymore. Some try to deny it. But that was an issue where millions and millions of Jews were being slaughtered by Hitler because he was trying to get the perfect Aryan race. But if you look at abortion and you look at the Holocaust, the Holocaust dwarfs abortion and its impact the way around it's just it's or the the abortion dwarfs the holocaust um in its in its impact uh because you know you're talking about like six million for uh abort for the holocaust 12 million like, for the holocaust and or, 61 for the or 12 million for the holocaust and 61 for uh, the issue of life 
So you're talking about a an astronomical difference. You're talking about five times roughly the number of deaths. And when you when you listen to that audio, you can see if you look at all the wars that our country has engaged in since the beginning, since seventeen seventy five. And you add them all together, they're just a drop in the bucket to the war on abortion, the war on life. Yep. And um you know, maybe a tenth. And basically, um, and that song talks about, will you speak for me? There's a line in there that says, I'm out of sight, out of mind. And see, because we, we, we can't, we can't see it or we don't want to see it. So we're out of sight, we're out of mind. You know, where everything else was with wars, we see it. With the Holocaust, we see it. But with babies, we don't want to see it. Oh. And, um, the the problem I th- I mean I believe the scripture where it says the God of this world has blinded people, and I really believe that's part of the abortion problem. The God of this world has blinded people, majorly. Yes. So we need to be the ones to shed the light, or to to spread the light. And uh, you know, as as the world gets darker, that just means we need to shine brighter. So I hope that again you've been challenged with these pro life thoughts. I hope that you've been given some ammo um, with the thoughts on this podcast and also the links that will be shared um, uh, on the blog uh, with some ammo on how to deal with your friends and how to make them or how to steer them in the right direction. You can't make them do the right thing, but you can steer them in the right direction and you can pray for the Holy Spirit to intervene on their behalf because he definitely will. He's a living and moving God and he cares. So, um, and we'll, we'll also try to, um, provide some kind of link to the music that Diane just mentioned so that you can take a look at that song. We'll see what we can do. So make sure that you go to the blog because there's going to be a lot of links on this podcast. That doesn't always happen, but in this case, it, it's a reality. So make sure that you avail yourself of that. All right. Well, um, do you have any final thoughts, Dan? Uh, nope. All right. Well, short and to the point is Dan. But thank you for sharing that video, Dan. And I hope that you guys have a great weekend and that you keep serving the best of masters. And finally, choose life that you and your descendants may live. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking For Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 